0: one, two, three. Hi, everyone. My name is Faith O'Leary. Uh, my pronouns are she, they, and this is the Podgrads Podcast, the show where we talk about research, academia, and life in graduate school. Today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic, um, the topic of multicultural research. Um, and to help me kind of talk about this subject is my multicultural professor Dr. Yue. Um, She's a professor at Roosevelt University and I'm going to let her introduce herself further.
1: Hi Faith and uh, the listeners of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here and my name is Dr. Yue Li. I am an assistant professor in the psychology department Um, I teach uh, graduate classes, mostly uh, master's students and doctoral students in multicultural counseling, couples and family therapy, foundations of counseling um, and a number of other courses, anything related to counseling. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Awesome, thank you so much. Um, I also had just some questions about um, what your academic background is and what did, Uh, where did you study and what kind of research did you do if you were involved in research and kind of what your clinical interests are?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your question. So I also wanted to say my pronouns are she, hers, and I am originally from Shanghai, China. So I was an international student for many years in master's and doctoral program and now an international faculty member. Um, a little bit about my academic background, I obtained my PhD in counseling psychology uh, at Indiana University. At the same time, I had a doctoral minor in organizational behavior and business management. Uh, for my pre-doctoral internship, I was at uh the counseling center at UIC University of Illinois at Chicago. I had a special rotation, specialty rotation there at Marjorie Kovler Center, working with refugees who have experienced political violence. And for my postdoctoral training, I was at the Family Institute at Northwestern University, where I focused on couples and family therapy. Um, A little bit about research, Um, my research interests evolve around the experience of oppression, for example, sexism, racism, and issues related to migration. I also research feminist and liberation psychology, vocational issues, um, and the process and outcome of psychotherapy. I tend to research through feminist, constructivist, and liberatory lenses, which I analyze the impact of systemic uh, oppression, social political environments, and colonial history on th- the lived experience of marginalized peoples. So last but not least, I can talk a little bit about my clinical practice. I am a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Illinois. Clinically, my theoretical homes rest in humanistic, feminist, and liberation psychology theories while I integrate psychodynamic, CBT, mindfulness, and emotionally focused therapy in my practice. I provide psychotherapy in both English and Mandarin Chinese. I provide individual, couples, family therapy, and organizational consulting at a private practice in Chicago. So that's a little bit about me.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that. So as you guys can hear, um, Professor Yue is incredibly um, experienced in multicultural research um, and uh, clinical practice. I am very impressed. (laughs) So my first question about, uh, to get us started, is kind of, could you define multicultural counseling or multicultural research? Um, It's a big buzzword, but what does it actually mean? And what does it mean for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, had the question beforehand, so I had some time to reflect on that. There's just so much to say. About that, um, and what I like to start with is that I think when we we try to understand the multicultural counseling and multicultural research diversity, we need to really understand it is about power and oppression uh, rather than uh, about quote-unquote differences. I think historically, at least when I first got into the field, I had a little bit of a different impression in terms of we need to study diverse people because we come from different backgrounds and we need to adapt our clinical work or research into different population and that was more of a an approach of uh, learning from different cultures and expressing curiosity uh, which i think was, great and helpful but I think it was missing the component uh, which is at the core of multicultural work that it is about power and oppression um, rather than um, you are so different from me and let me try to understand what is your culture and what you are thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, So our, our work really needs to be nested in the concept of power and oppression and uh, power dynamics, whether that's racially, gender-based in terms of sexual orientation, disability status, and all of that, because without understanding the power dynamics and the systemic nature of power and oppression, we cannot fully understand the experience of uh, minorities and marginalized people. So simply to say, you and I are different, and we just need to try to understand each other better. Is not enough because our relationship and societies are rooted in um, unfair and unjust practices on so many different levels. So to be under, to be able to understand power and oppression, we need to look into the context, the history, and the multi levelled impact of a phenomenon. So these can sound really broad and vague. So I want to use myself, my own experience as an example to illustrate what I mean by context, history and multi-level impact. So I identify as a Chinese Asian woman, uh, international uh, in the context of the United States. So in my analysis of my experience as a woman and as Chinese, Um, and as a racial minority in the United States, I really have to look at different sources of socialization that really impacted me. For example, one comes from the traditional Chinese culture around gender that's taught to me by my family. Um, This may sound familiar to some of you, uh, regardless of your own family culture, but I grew up being taught a certain way to behave as a girl, as a woman. I should dress or carry myself in a certain way um, I was even taught that I don't have to um, be exceptional or successful as a woman. and the more what's more important is to um, carry out an average um, uh, and maybe um, uh, an average path and marry someone and and to take care of your family. And that is the main way that women, are evaluated or valued in society or in my culture. So I have that part of socialization that, uh, of course, uh, encrypted in me how I should live my life as a woman and the choices that I make. And another source of my gender socialization, I think comes from the colonial history in China, and the existence of white supremacy in China and in the Asian continent in, frankly, globally in every corner of the world. Um, My city, I'm from Shanghai, which is the biggest um, metropolis um, city in China. And we had a pretty extensive colonial history about a hundred years ago when our city was occupied by eight European and American countries and every nation, every country set up um, colonizing uh, areas um, in in the city, which left us with not only the architecture, which is still existence on the land of Shanghai. And, and I often say, if you go to Shanghai and the most bustling area, it's called the Bund. Um, it looks very much like Chicago on Michigan Avenue, because you see westernized buildings and um, um, banks that was built by the British, american netherlands so the colonial history is there right and existing not only in a form of architecture but also in a form of culture and in our Mm -hmm. mindset as well so an example that it affects my gendered identity was when there is advertisement on the street of beauty uh, Mm -hmm. beauty products Um, you often see a white woman as the model for that beauty product and even growing up, there is kind of this pervasive mindset of um, what is Eurocentric or Americanized is good or fancy uh, versus indigenous or Chinese is somehow less prestigious or uh, less desirable. So I really credit that um, or um, attribute that to the colonial history in China, which obviously is applicable to many other areas of the world where there was a colonial history. So both the traditional Chinese culture and the colonial history and white supremacy affected my socialization and identity as a woman. And later I came to study in the United States, which really put my racial identity front and center because when I was at home, I was a racial majority. Um, everybody looks like me. However, when I came to the United States, I became acutely aware of my skin tone and my presentation as an Asian person. Um, again, being impacted impacted by white supremacy and a Eurocentric way of thinking in the United States. So this is what I meant by the context of this one person, aka me in this example's existence and how history impacted me as an individual. Mm -hmm. And if we look on the surface, uh, colonization happens many, many decades ago or slavery and uh, atrocities, human atrocities and wars happened many generations ago but that intergenerational trauma um, or the impact on us as individuals gets passed down through generation and impact me as an individual. So the last point I wanna make is the impact, the multi leveled impact uh, as you can already see because of my existence as a woman and as a racial minority in different political and social contexts, you can see the impact of racism and sexism and colonialism impact our national policies and politics in terms of who occupies the highest office, right? Um, And we're changing and bringing more representation um, at the highest office in in the last election, which is great. And Mm -hmm. um, gender uh, racism and sexism also impacts our workplace in terms of um, the gender pay gap and workplace discrimination, whether that's explicit or implicit. It impacts our family and intimate relationships. In a classroom, when we deal, uh, uh, bring friendships with each other or learn from each other or in our family, there's differences. And I'm in a uh, interracial marriage as well. So that comes into our very personal, intimate relationships. And last but not least, it comes into our individual psyche. So our thinking, our emotional experience, our spiritual and bodily experience can all reflect on oppression. Um, for example, when we grew up as a marginalized person, being oppressed, whether that's a woman or a person of color in the United States or an immigrant or a person who have disability or a queer identified person, we may internalize some of those negative images of us being bad and not worthy in some ways and it impact our emotional well-being. Um, it exacerbates stress and anxiety and mental health symptoms and body lives in our trauma where there is uh, emotional stress, there is manifestation on our body in terms of tension and illness, and it affects us um, all well round. So uh, this is what I mean by how racism, sexism, uh, heterosexism, all of those oppressive systems, we need to understand it as what it is, which is Mm -hmm. a systemic approach and also um, it impacts us at all different levels, from the highest level of society to literally inside our head and inside our body. So that's how I understand multicultural counseling and research.
0: Oh, thank you so much for sharing. That was a beautiful, beautiful response. I really love what you said about understanding differences isn't enough. That you need to understand the differences with power and oppression. Like that is like crucial. Um, that is a very very good point. Like it's not enough to say, "Oh, I see that we're different." It's, you have to be able to understand how that how those differences impact power, um, and how power is used to oppress. Which is, um, yeah, beautiful point. Um, and thank you for kind of um, illustrating context. Well, I'm using your own story. Uh, I thought that was beautiful. Um,
1: thank you.
0: Yeah, um, I think in. Uh, you know, Western culture, and especially in America, you people have like a tendency to be more individualized or like present-focused and or future-focused instead of focusing on the past. And we can forget that things that happened in the past can impact us. And um, generational trauma is real. And we do not live in an isolated bubble. We have things around us that impact us and context. Um, very good point. Thank you for illustrating that.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. And also just add another plug that actually research has been uh, able to show that uh, in -hmm. terms of racial trauma, how uh, race related stress in the United States affect people of color at different levels, health outcomes, mental health outcomes. And Mm -hmm. of course, access to education, housing, um, the criminal justice system, just all levels of someone's well-being and existence. Um, Mm -hmm. There was another A research uh, project that was done many years ago but looking at the it's a neuroscientific research on the uh, epigenetics of Mm -hmm. holocaust survivors Mm -hmm. and of course i'm not a uh, neuroscientist so i can't speak at length about that but essentially the conclusion is that we found That the effect of Holocaust um, and being tortured and um, marginalized in that way has an effect on the survivors offspring um, for many generations. Because our uh, genes, human, human, human gene does um, evolve and adapt based on our lived experience through the effect of epigenetics, um, which means that our lived experience may Flag up as a little tag in our mm. genes, and that gets passed on through generations. So, mm. uh, from those research, of course, relates to the topic today in terms of multicultural research. We're able to really bring context and perspective and history in the research rather than only looking at what's going on mm. uh, right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I love hearing about how research is kind of um, evolving and finding new things. Um, Which kind of leads me to my next question, which is what is your own personal experience with research? And how do you incorporate um, a multicultural perspective into your work? And how do you make sure that you're including that as a focus in your in your research?
1: Yeah, thank you for the question. I think this is also one of the things that's constantly evolving and there isn't a simple answer. So I wanted to start by talking a little bit about the uh, impact of Uh, previous scholars uh, that has on me, um, specifically three um, scholars, um, and that really impacted my thinking as a multicultural researcher, and then I'll go into a little bit of how I think about my own multicultural research. So the first scholar that made a huge impact is Kimberly Crenshaw. I believe many of you may be familiar with that. And her article in 1989 uses a number of Supreme Court cases. Um, Essentially, she is uh, one of the founding figure of critical race theory, which um, fortunately and unfortunately is at the center of debate in the past year in education system and in many states. Um, However, she uses this article to powerfully provide evidence of injustices in the system. And she is also the person who coined the term intersectionality, which has become a really popular and important concept in our multicultural study. So I want to read one quote uh, from her study, uh, her um, uh, legal report. So she was citing a court case Um, Let me take a quick look and just to see, I get the dates right. Um, So this is a court case uh, uh, by the Grunfield and the General Motors um, in around the 1970s. So what happened was there was a recession. So General Motors laid off a number of black women in the organization. And those black women brought suit to General Motors, and this uh, this court case uh, go all the way to the district court um, and to be judged. And I'm gonna read a quote from the court's decision. Plaintiffs have failed to cite any decision which have stated that black women are a special case to be protected from discrimination. The court's own research has failed to disclose such a decision. The plaintiffs are clearly entitled to a remedy if they have been discriminated against. However, they should not be allowed to combine statutory remedies to create a new, quote, super remedy. End quotes, which would give them relief beyond what the drafters of the relevant statutes intended. Thus, this lawsuit must be examined to see if the states a cause uh, if states a cause of action for race discrimination, sex discrimination, or alternatively either, but not a combination of both. So these Black women lost this court case. Basically, basically the court is saying that you uh, can be discriminated against because you're a woman or because you're black, but you can't say as black woman, you are being discriminated against. You can't combine uh-huh. both of those uh, situations. And what they uh, argue against is because there are women who are white women who are not fired by General Motors. So mm. you are not discriminated against based on your gender because there are black men who are not laid off uh, at the organization Mm -hmm. you cannot be discriminated against um, based on your race. So she is one of the first person to provide concrete legal evidence to talk about this unique position of people of color and black women in this situation faces where the court doesn't recognize that there is a unique situation of oppression that those black women uh, are experiencing. And the second, uh, the second and third article that I wanna talk a little bit about specifically address multicultural and intersectional research in psychology. So one is by Lisa Bolag in 2008. She wrote an article called One Black Plus Woman Plus, Plus Lesbian Does Not Equal to Black Lesbian Women. So that's the title of the article. And she talks about methodological challenges of qualitative and quantitative intersectionality research in psychology. So in this very uh, important article, uh, Boleg talks about our approach to multicultural research should be uh, intersectional rather than additive. So additive means black plus lesbian plus woman is the assumption that our experience can add up to each other so as uh, someone Mm -hmm. who is black you experience a set of oppression as a lesbian experience another set of oppression that's add on to the first set and then as a woman uh, you may experience a third set of oppression that can add, up, uh, add on to the first two categories. However, from a truly intersectional perspective, we're understanding that an experience of Black lesbian women is unique within itself. It is mm. not three sets of oppression that adds on to uh, one another. So a truly intersectional question would simply be asking the respondent to talk about her experience without separating each identity. Mm -hmm. So in multicultural research, we should also pay attention to proximal versus distal factors. So what does that mean? Proximal uh, factors are factors that really relates to our experience. For example, as a Black lesbian woman, we may be very curious about their racial identity saliency. How does your identity come up? Uh, What are some of the most important identity for you? We may try to measure stress um, response, racial trauma, maybe it's uh, experience of prejudice and discrimination. So measuring those really proximal and close to Real life experience constructs rather than distal factors, which is uh, demographics. So, simply because someone who identifies as Black or women or a Black lesbian woman, this identity is a distal factor, which means that um, they do not necessarily correlate to the lived experience of someone. Just because we belong to a category doesn't mean our experiences are all the same. And I actually have an example from my dissertation, which is um, not a positive example, but a cautionary example, because I did my dissertation on people of color's experience in psychotherapy. And because Mm. I was using archival data, unfortunately, I only had demographic information of Mm. the racial identities, rather Mm. than The people of color clients' actual racial identity, for example, or experience of discrimination. So Mm. the results that I found was very mixed. And Mm. in my conclusion and discussion, I talked about: had I been able to collect my own data uh, rather than using archival data, I would be very interested interested in looking into uh, proximal. Uh, constructs such as racial identity and stress and real experience um, of each person, rather than those um, checking boxes, right? So the Bolek article continues to talk a little bit about um, the inherent drawbacks of using quantitative and statistical measures in our research, because when we think about research methods such as ANOVA, there is inherent uh, additive assumption in the model in terms of we are adding out one identity into another if we're thinking about a regression model. So the statistic. Uh, statistical tools don't always allow us to truly analyze the data in that intersectional space. So what are we gonna do about that? Uh, One suggestion that she made is when we interpret the data, we need not only to look at the data in front of us, but interpret the data with um, the larger historical and social political context in mind. So statistics are not going to tell us how to look at data in a uh, intersectional perspective, but we need to really, as researchers, employ those critical thinking um, to do the work on their part. And I think it's from that study uh, or from Boleg's research, I really um, become very interested in qualitative research, which I think is much more apt to doing intersectional research and really asking the question of, you are a human, having multiple identities, living in a uh, complex, uh, complex social system, and how is your lived experience, rather than having to measure or putting people into categories. Um, So the third researcher I wanna talk briefly about is Elizabeth Cole. In 2009, she wrote a a seminar article called Intersectionality and Research in Psychology. Um, So for those of you who are interested, you can find those articles online. But she asks three important questions when we design a research. First, who is included within this category or in your sample? And what roles does inequality play? Um, in this phenomenon and the third question is what are some similarities of multiple oppressed populations um, in their oppressed experiences and she breaks it down into the whole process of research from hypothesis from sampling from data analysis from research interpretation how do we consider those three questions um, who is included uh, versus who is not how does it inequality play a role and what are some of the similarities of oppressed populations across the board. Um, So she talks about we need to endeavor this self-examination and reflection as researchers throughout um, our research process. Um, And and in terms of uh, just A little bit of my own research experience, I would say that I am pivoting much more into qualitative research for the reasons I have mentioned, and I'm really interested in uh, researching um, uh, from a feminist perspective and from an intersectional perspective, And I also kind of am borrowing from other literature like uh, sociology or anthropology and political science for me to be able to better understand the history and context of the research experience. So I know that's a long answer.
0: Uh, Thank you. Yeah, thank you for all of that. Um, Thank you for bringing attention to that, like those important researchers and their work. Um, I'm familiar with um, a lot of them. And uh, yeah, very. groundbreaking work. Um, you kind of touched on this a little bit throughout um, your responses, but I wanted to like specifically ask, like, what is the importance of multi- multicultural research? What is the value? Why should that be the, one of the number one priorities for researchers today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your question. I think there are a number of reasons. One is um, We live in a very multicultural and and global and diverse world and um, and on our campus in the city of Chicago, we also see uh, an increasing diversity on campus and in urban areas and in the clients that we're seeing. So um, previously psychology has a very Eurocentric, focus in terms of the mainstream psychotherapy theories and research were first done in Europe uh, when you think about Freud and Vont and, uh, and all of those um, white Euro-th- Eurocentric and male therapists and researchers. So we are really at the point to ask ourselves whether the ways of healing and ways of research that we are um, uh, we are studying are those actually ap- uh, applicable to people who come from different identities and from different cultures and have has the ther- psychotherapy process taken a uh, system of power and oppression into consideration when, when we are providing healing uh, for, uh, for our clients. So uh, one example in perhaps the therapy world is if a client comes in displacing symptoms of racialized stress or racial trauma, clearly their anxiety or depression or self-doubt is rooted in their socialization as a person of color in the United States. And the therapist does not uh, is not um, attuned with that and continue to ask questions uh, about um, kind of their family of origin or in um, and, and even finding out why they're not thinking correctly or making um, a black and white thinking that exacerbates anxiety, for example, from a CBT perspective uh, without acknowledging the impact of racism or sexism and, and heterosexism on somebody, it can really Uh, First and foremost, be inadequate, ineffective, and also victim blaming and traumatizing. Um, Essentially, if we don't look at multicultural research um, or provide service from a multicultural research, we really run the risk uh, of telling people that whatever you're experiencing uh, is something that you can fix within yourself. Um, and we're not acknowledging the impact of history and uh, social political factors and the context that we're talking about on somebody. Um, So to be able to validate that and help a person to see that they're a person in a system can not necessarily change the whole system. Um, It may bring about a sense of powerlessness. However, from a liberation approach, if one can be... Uh, find clarity in the situation that they're in, they may be able to cope with the powerlessness and helplessness and maybe transform that energy um, into personal agency and uh, into subversion, into making changes, helping themselves or helping others. Um, so I think in, in our work as psychologists and researchers, um, that's very important And going to the research area. We need more research in understanding um, marginalized people's experience in life. Um, I think the body of literature on racial trauma is a very good example. Finding evidence to say, hey, this racism really connects with our body. And these are the evidence. Um, and also, uh, yes uh, and 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 really uh, also we need to be looking at clients experience in the therapy room how uh, are people of color clients experiencing therapy, is it working for them? Um, Microaggressions occur, unfortunately, in the therapy room as well. How do therapists become more apt, especially therapists who hold um, privileged identities, white, straight, um, male therapists, um, um, in any of those categories, how do they provide uh, 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 psychological services that are not harming? Um, clients, but actually um, are effective.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, I'm in a psychodynamic course right now, actually. Um, and one of the books that I'm reading is called uh, Psychodynamic Therapy with uh, with African-American Women by Jackson Green. And it focuses a lot on the different ways that um, African-American women, um, their experiences um in life impacted therapy session and in treatment for both for black um, women therapists but also for other um, kinds of therapists um, for example like I'm a white woman and so I'm having to learn a lot about like what does that mean in the therapy session for me with not just black women but people of other um, different races and ethnicities what does that mean coming in how are they going to perceive me and so one of the big things we talk about is you know transference and counter-transference and so like I have to be very aware of like, you know, my own racial identity and background when coming to clients and how that um, affects the therapy room. So that was, yeah, very, um, thank you for drawing attention to that. I that sounds amazing. Really appreciate it. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a very interesting um, class and in text. I'm very much enjoying that. Yeah. Um, I'm so
1: glad to hear that. I feel like psychodynamic theory is one of the more traditional uh-huh. um, theory, um, but bringing light into the multicultural or diversity discussion can be so important. And I think traditionally psychodynamic theory doesn't, uh, it talks about transference and counter-transference, but there is a yeah. more concept called a political counter-transference, mm-hmm. um, the one that you were talking about. So I think that also highlights the importance for us to do research and um, advancing our field to include all of those practices in
0: our yeah. work. Yeah. Definitely. Um, To kind of bounce off of that, you know, I mentioned that I'm in psychodynamic courses. In the past, I've taken your multicultural course, and that's where I know you from. And I kind of wanted to ask you, what is one lesson that you try to impart to students about diversity and inclusion in that class? What's one takeaway that you tried to um, let them have um, during their time with you in the course?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. I think One I've mentioned previously, um, kind of helping students to understand that multiculturalism is about power and oppression and that systemic approach. And in that class in particular, if I had to say, there are so many things that I wanna teach in that class, but if I have to say one thing um, for students to pique their interest and perhaps you will take the course in the future is I think multicultural perspective to the world is very much about how we understand the world and how do we understand truth. So getting a little bit philosophical, um, what is truth and how do we find truth? If we come from kind of a positivist approach or <clears throat> physical science approach, we may understand truth as it is there for us to know and we can Access truth by measurement, and there is absolute truth, and, and our, our task is just to find it out. Um, and there is something like gravity that we just need to discover it. However, multicultural perspective offers a very, very different lens um, in actually constructivist philosophy uh, that talks about how truth, uh, absol- absolute truth, uh, doesn't necessarily exist and is not necessarily knowable. Um, Truth is not one thing that we uncover or discover, but truth may be something that each individual or each group hold with themselves. There are multiple facets of truth and they can can all exist. So I think uh, throughout multicultural counseling and research, that is the question that we should be challenging and relearning from our perhaps previous education in terms of there is the best or there's the truth that we need to find out. But multicultural perspective is really much about seeing the complexity and being in the unknown. So to think about what is reality for this person or for this population? Um, Just because I experience something differently doesn't mean that is the reality for other people who hold different identities, right? For example, during the COVID pandemic, especially the early stage of the pandemic, um, there was a huge rising of AAPI hate, which makes uh, Asian Americans living in the United States feel increasingly unsafe. I had a really close friend and colleague at the time, and she was also a Chinese international psychologist. And she was living by herself at the time in Chicago. And one time she was telling me that she started feeling um, really unsafe going to the grocery store and being on public transportations. And she lives in near Lakeview, so a really populated, um, uh, supposedly liberal area. However, that sense of unsafety and anxiety is real to her and I started to examine my experience and I realized I didn't feel as much anxiety and lack of safety compared to her. And I think where our difference may lie different is because I am uh, partnered and my husband is a white man. And when we go grocery shopping, we typically grow together. So by proxy of being in that relationship, I benefit from white male privilege um, Mm -hmm. versus if I put myself in my friend's shoes, if I am a a single um, uh, Asian woman living in the United States and having to take care of myself on a daily basis, how -hmm. would I feel? Um, Perhaps I would feel as uh, unsafe and anxious as, as she is. So this is an example of what is reality? And who has the right to define reality? Is my reality the truth or her reality the truth? I mean, they're both true. And we need to be able to analyze a reality based on power and oppression in the different contexts that we live in. So going a little beyond that, when we look at, um, Traditionally, research is done um, by quantitative um, analyses. However, if we were to do this intersectional and multicultural work, we need to be able to look at data more critically. Stories are data, experiences are data, um, and I think in that aspect, anthropologists and uh, ethnographers um, do a much better job in getting the whole picture. Um, So individual experience is data, is research, and someone's emotional experience is data, um, is research, Mm. is truth, and also collective healing, uh, collective sharing of one group. All of these may not neatly fit into our traditional way of doing research or what is quote unquote science, um, but they are empirical, which means, empirical means coming from experience, right? Um, so words, experiences, emotions, all of that constructs our truth and truth are different for every um, different individual.
0: Right. That is a very good point. You know, in research, we tend to think of, you know, our field or goal as uh, finding truth or d- uncovering truth. And, like you mentioned, it's not really about finding truth, it's more about uncovering the different truths that there are and the different ways people see things and being able to like analyze that critically in light of context. That's a very good point. Um, definitely multicultural counseling, I feel like is shifting that uh, perspective. I feel like in the past they've had a lot of uh, like qualitative and quantitative researchers, you know, go at it, uh, which is the, which is better. Um, and Now uh, qualitative is kind of getting its chance. Um, And so we're seeing a lot of beach now more than i think we used to um yeah yeah but i I like what you said about like anthropologists and ethnographers Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, having read their research is definitely very informative to my own a very different perspective from psychology (laughs) for sure
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely i'm always um, excited to read more and learn more i think we have a lot to learn
0: across disciplines yeah definitely definitely uh you kind of mentioned Uh, throughout the the interview uh, a bunch of researchers or people that have influenced you um is there anyone specifically who has inspired your research in particular or inspired you in multicultural uh, counseling at all
1: yeah that's a um hard to answer question and I think as I reflect on that I it's hard to pinpoint a few people because I do think a feminist and liberatory endeavor is a collective endeavor. When we think about history or uh, people who um, triumphed in history or who um, bring forward history, I think uh, uh, maybe male-dominated perspective to find out the heroes or to find out the uh, the, um, the, uh, <laughs> the the, um, the stronger um, people in in the. Um, tide of history, but I think when I reflect on my experience uh, or development as a psychologist and researcher, I really feel like an ocean of support and and people's ideas and work bounce off of each other. But with that being said, I do want to kind of point out a couple of people that feel influential to me. One is... um, My graduate school mentor and advisor, Dr. Joe Wong at Indiana University, um, he does masculinity research. Um, So my research interests don't necessarily uh, is aligned with his, but I think he embodies what it means to be an educator and to be a human, and he Um, imparts so much humility and wisdom on all of the students and provides so much support. So I think when I think about myself as a research mentor for my students and me being a professor and me being a psychologist and what are some of the guiding principles that I should abide by, I think of my mentor Joel and what would he do um, in the care and the length that he takes to uh, really ensure that uh, care is given into the process. Um, In terms of feminist literature, I'm a big fan of Laura Brown and she wrote a book, uh, Subversive Dialogues, uh, talks about laying the foundation of feminist uh, psychotherapy. And uh, the first chapter I have my students read in multicultural class, and that's just such a sharp voice criticizing or critiquing some of the Eurocentric and capitalist values uh, that's inherent in the psychotherapy process. So the process of critiquing of ourselves can be scary. However, if we can't critically examine ourselves or destruct the uh, biases and uh, flaws that we have, we cannot rebuild something for the better. And the last person I wanna mention is Dr. Jing Lao Chen. And she is a Chinese, she was a Chinese um, American psychologist in New York city. Um, She was actually running for APA president in 2020. Um, And we projected that she had a chance to win. So we were so excited that if she won the presidency, we would have an Asian American APA Mm -hmm. president. Um, But the tragic story is that she and her husband passed due to COVID. Um, in 2020. So that was a really devastating experience for me and many um, AAPI women psychologists in the field. And that really makes me reflect um, the importance of um, representation and mentorship mm. to having someone who look like me and come from a similar background and as me, as me, who yeah has devoted her life to leadership and trailblazing work and potentially would have been the APA president and how uh, that just made me feel so much safer and encouraged and empowered. However, losing her makes Mm. me reflect on how, I should pick up the baton that she has left for us. And I tend mm. to believe that she has completed her work and it is our job to carry on where she has started. So mm. I think um, she was, uh, she is one of the people who um, I really look look up to, even though she's no longer with
0: us. Mm. Oh, thank you for sharing that beautiful, um, beautiful um, uh, stories. Um, I really liked what you said about, you know, the collectivist nature of research and learning, how it's not just single individuals, you know, heroes of history that make a difference. It's the, the collectivist nature of passing on the baton, like you said, of c- continuing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a, a beautiful point. That's um, yeah, something that we, um, I feel like in America tend to, in the U.S., we have like, again, individualistic cultures. And so it's, um, we tend to not think about, we tend to, like you said, find the heroes and pick certain people out when it's actually a very big, uh, work, a, a collective work, um, of collaboration. Oh, That's yeah. a very important uh, point. Definitely my time at Roosevelt has helped me develop that, more of that kind of like perspective that I'm very, very grateful for. i um,
1: so glad to hear that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been a very good experience. Um, so kind of off of that, uh, what, what do you think that students can do to ensure that their work accurately reflects people across cultures? How can they make multicultural counseling and multicultural research an important pillar in their work, and how do they incorporate that practically?
1: Yeah, Thank you for that question. Um, I think, like I said, I feel like it's a lifelong journey. I feel like I have much to learn and grow as well. So I would hold on to that curiosity, humility, um, and also anger for so much things that are, so much injustices that are happening in the United States, in my home country and globally as well. So hold on to the passion that you have um, as a researcher. And I would reflect on positionality when we encounter multicultural research. For example, as a Chinese international woman, when I conduct a research, um, currently I'm conducting a research on Asian international students and their career decision process. And I reflect on why am I doing this research and what is my positionality? And as an in-group member, I may inherently have some bias or assumptions about their experiences. However, I also have a firsthand experience as a former Asian international students who have made career decisions. Right. Um, and if as a researcher, we are outsiders or outgroup members um, comparing to our um, research uh, sample or uh, the, uh, the participant community, we also need to reflect on Um, kind of what are some of the biases that we have as someone who has a different identity comparing to research participants and are we apt to discuss the challenges um, or experiences um, and the strengths that these populations um, are having. Um, So I think doing our our own work is very important reflecting on our marginalized and privileged identity. So situate our research process um, in identity in the system of power and oppression as well. Uh, Listen to marginalized people, uh, read and pay attention to the larger social economic context is very important. And I want to provide an example of reflection, I don't necessarily have an answer, but I have come across um, some researchers who identifies as white and has a predominantly white research team that research predominantly on Latinx and black um, marginalized communities. And I think something about that situation really makes me um, wary and uncomfortable in terms of um, the positionality and the racial power um, that the researcher has not only being a scholar, a professor that has a level of privilege in our society, but also mm-hmm. being white um, and researching on uh, marginalized people's experiences. Mm-hmm. So, with those projects and research processes, I would be very curious about the why and mm-hmm. where does the passion come from, and is there a collaboration between the lead of research and the community members? Um, are they relying on the uh, collective wisdom for the community or are they speaking on behalf of uh, a community that uh, researchers don't necessarily have the first-hand experience about. In another aspect I've also heard some uh, people of color researchers getting called up a lot to be consultants on projects Um, particularly research products that are conducted, for example, by white researchers on marginalized populations. And then the researchers would call up on um, other uh, researchers of color to say, hey, could you give a stamp of approval and take a look at our study? And so again, I would critically consider the positionality. And if there are people who are from the community that can produce more nuanced and valuable research, why are um, someone who don't belong to that group doing that research? And if research is being done, how is credit being made and how does power um, being addressed um, and taken, uh, addressed and um, incorporated in the research process? So yeah, I think that's a complicated issue but I, I hope we reflect on positionality um, in in the why and and what we're looking at
0: right. I like that I've never heard the word positionality before I think that's a very good um, yeah a really good like phrasing of, of how to consider your place as a researcher within the you know um, research methodologies yeah um my last question kind of goes off of that as well like a little um talked about how students can incorporate multicultural research now i want to ask how can universities better embrace multicultural research on campus how can they make that a priority in their research and in their just overall work as a research institution
1: yeah thank you for that question i think it goes back to i would say um, education and resources in terms of um, social justice, uh, training, and uh, an environment. I think on the um, larger departmental level, we need more people of color uh, or um, professors from marginalized backgrounds um, in order to. Um, pass down the knowledge and wisdom and and experience of conducting multicultural research and mentor students research as well. Um, And I think we have been doing a good job with recruiting um, diverse student population. And I believe that learning happens in community and students learn from each other um, tremendously. So the more we can include diverse um, population of students on different levels, race, ethnicity, social class, sexual orientation, disability status, all of that, the more we may be able to help students spark ideas amongst themselves. Um, And we also need to, my my hope is for all of the students to have um, a, a solid multicultural education, regardless of the major that they're in, whether you're studying um, psychology or education or music or business, I think multicultural is important in all facets of our lives. Um, when people work in the corporate, um, corporate America, uh, our workforce is becoming more diverse. When people are consuming arts and creating arts, that is also about the critical lens and uh, a diverse audience as well. Um, so to bring that education, regardless of major, I think it's um, would be very important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for all of your answers and all of your responses. Um, thank you for sharing all that wisdom with us. Uh, you had a lot of very insightful things to say, and I hope um, you guys in the audience will be able to, you know, take a lot of notes and be able to really like sit with what Professor Yue has been talking about about the importance of what's a cultural research and the um the ways that we can improve as researchers to better the field and include more different diverse um, voices um, thank you so much for joining us today is there anything else you would like to add before we sign off
1: i just wanted to say faith thank you so much for taking the time to create this podcast and bring such important topics for our students so i i Hope you all feel supported and you're in community um, as you continue your um, study and endeavor at Roosevelt University. And I welcome you to reach out to me if you want to chat more about multicultural research and uh, I would be happy to connect with any of you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Um, it was an honor to talk to you. and. Um, thank you for the guest, or for um, for coming on, and thank you for the uh, to the audience, all you who are listening. Um, thanks for supporting the podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys learned a lot. Um, I know, definitely know I did. So, thank you so much. Um, like I said, my name is Faith O'Leary. This is the Podgrads podcast, and uh, we're signing off until next week. Thanks.